Happy Friday, theater lovers. This week's guest is Shane Davis. My conversation with Shane was a little form of therapy for me. We talk about being an extroverted introvert, an ongoing theme of the show. And he shares some excellent advice for social anxiety, which I've actually taken to since speaking to him. Shane is a great listener, a natural people person, and shares with me about his 20 plus years on the stage. He is also a little bit of a trickster, and there may be a couple of F-bombs at the end of this episode as a result of that mischief. I tried to bleep them out, but you should still shield your children accordingly. On with the show. So yeah, uh, welcome Shane Davis to Sarnia Famous. Thank you very much for being here with me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you because I just saw... Something Rotten, what a fun show, and if I had to pick a character to play, I would want to play your character. I loved your character. There was one moment where you looked out to the audience with these crazy eyes and just said, hair, and it was one of my (laughs) favorite, and like that is a star-studded, musically amazing costumes were fantastic show and uh but that was your character stood out to me i I loved it i thought it was hilarious and i want to hear everything about it like just a whole experience for you okay yeah so nostradamus was born in the year no i have no idea (laughs) you're right (laughs) if you know that stuff go for it (laughs) i wish um (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't know much about this show. I think a few years ago it came up in a cabaret that we did at Theater 42. I was asked by Brent, um, and I don't remember who was directing the cabaret. It might have been Adam Forrestal. But he asked me, hey, do you want to perform a, a two-part song from a musical called Something Rotten? The song's called God, I Hate Shakespeare. And I said, that sounds fun. And then he played it for me. I said, that sounds funny. That's a good song. I like it. And so we we did that. Brent sang the uh, the Nick bottom part, and I sang the Nigel bottom part, and it was a blast. And then I just filed that away as a fun time. And then fast forward to, I guess, four years later, probably, and um, or three years, you know, later, it, it gets announced as being part of the season, and we find out that uh, Jackie Burns is directing and choreographing. And we, you know, in my head, I say, I remember the show. I remember the song I sang being funny. That's good enough for me to check out the soundtrack. So then I downloaded the soundtrack, listened to it, and said, okay, yeah, this is an amazing show. It's hilarious. It's irreverent, but it's, yeah, it's smart. It's got lots of references. It's got, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's, you know, well put together. Uh, So I decided, yeah, in the uh, auditions would have been, I think, January. They're in the winter for sure. Maybe maybe December. And I said, it's been a while. Obviously, none of us have done much in the theater for a couple years for reasons unknown but we would uh like to get back to it and this this finally felt like a show that that i could really you know give a go at so i went and auditioned and and thought it would be fun to play any part in this show because again from top to bottom from lead to ensemble i guess the bottom is the top anyway (sighs) pun intended but it's just a fun show from top from top to bottom like everybody has a good everybody has fun everybody gets to sort of play in a world that we you know, it's not. It's it's a world we all kind of know. We know what England looks like. We know what Renaissance kind of means. But I don't know if there's a musical that's taken this time period on before. Um, and it was really fun. It was a great time to audition. I should say. Let me. I'm really bad at telling stories. But I I went to audition and I thought, yeah, any part would be great to be involved with. It was really nice to see a bunch of familiar faces back at the audition process. Right. It's been some people I haven't seen them in a couple of years since 2020 at at the latest. The auditions went well, and then they asked me, would you like to play the role of Nostradamus? And I thought, you know, having listened through the soundtrack, the stuff that stood out to me was, you know, Shakespeare, the rock star, the Bottom Brothers being kind of a take on uh, the two guys from the producers. There's a lot of fun characters out there, and, and Nostradamus was this fun, wacky man, and I thought, am I wacky enough? I don't know. Am I zany? I don't know. Uh, but Jackie and uh, Frank, Frank Brennan, the music director, came to me and asked so, you know, I took their word for it that I might be a good fit for it. And uh, we went from there. Three months of rehearsals, finding the character, finding the laughs, finding finding your, your spot on stage, all this stuff that goes into building a role in such a sort of fast-paced show, especially once that second act kicks in. It just 
goes mm-hmm. and does not stop. <laughs> it's breathless and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a blast. I was really glad to get back on stage surrounded by, you know, the most talented people I've ever met. It was a delight. So you didn't you didn't think you had the, the zaniness for that character? Because I thought, like, to me it seemed so natural. I may be more naturally zany than I give myself credit for. I, I guess it's it's funny because I, I try to, you try to sort of sketch in your head what kind of, you know, there's what kind of roles do you like when you do musical theater, when you do any kind of performing? What what stands out to, what grabs your attention? Like, oh, I'd love to play that part. And it can be, depending on the show, it could be a very different role for me. Like, I, I, I really love, you know, a, a show with a bit of weight behind it, with like more, with, with some drama. I like a show with a lot of clever wit. I like, you know, I like different types of shows for different reasons and then I like different characters for different reasons like the leading man in this show is trying to hold it together you know Nick Bottom is is a is a really fun guy to watch because he's you know he wants big ideas he's got this big he's so ambitious and I thought he he seems really fun to try to as the world's falling apart around you try to hold that together that seems fun uh Shakespeare as a rock star like he's clad in leather the whole time and thinks he's the hottest thing in town and he's kind of an idiot right he's not he's not as smart as history books would tell us but you know he's fun for different reasons i think different parts of different characters appeal to me different times and and, and i'm never i'm never sure if i'm going to be suitable for a show you know when when someone asks me to audition or i i come out and audition and they ask me to take a role i always you know the, the first question in the back of my head is are you sure are you sure there's no one there's better for this that's the only one that i mean and i'll go for it and i and like i say i trust the creative people around me who say yeah you're gonna you're gonna work for that I, but you know what when i'm faced with sort of day one of thomas nostradamus i think okay what do i what do i bring to this and I think, yeah, what I bring to it is, you know, I, I know where a joke lands. I know how to time that stuff out. And I know he's really fun. Like you said, it's, it's fun to play a, a character that just stands there and yells non sequiturs <laughs> and pulls all the attention away from the actual story and just interrupts everyone and says, cats, <laughs> we should do a with cats. No, that's insane. Of course it's insane. But Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't get the memo and he said, Yes, let's do a thing about cats. And he didn't think it was crazy. Um, no, he's just, he's fun to, uh, you jump in and out of scenes with a character like that. And then you're just, you know, you're not carrying the weight of the narrative. I love characters that can do that. I love actors that have the ability to do that. But yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun to just jump in and, and say, boo-da-boo, and then jump out again. And that's, <laughs> that's my role. And the musical number was a blast. It was a, it was a great time to do a big, I, I, get, I keep struggling to think of what, you know, what genre of song that is, the song, a musical. It's, you know, it's a send-up of musical theater. It's it's catchy. It's got that boom-chick-boom-chick-boom-chick-boom-chick mm-hmm. musical. Uh, it, it's fun. It's lighthearted. It's got, you know, it's packed with, you know, dozens of references to other musicals. So fans of the theater get to say, I know what that's from. I know what they're talking about there. And that's, it's fun to have your audience on in on the joke with that. You know, it comes as close to breaking the fourth wall as you can in a show like this. We want to stay in the world of Elizabeth England, but definitely we're winking to the crowd the whole time. And I think what appeals to me about that is, you know, we're all in the theater in the same room together. The, the, the beautiful thing about being in a live show like that is we're on stage and the audience is in the audience, but we're all here. We're all, you know, when something's funny, we all hear the same joke. We all, you know, everyone in the audience laughs with you, right? You're, you're on stage and you're, you're experiencing the same things. And I like, I like bringing the audience in on the joke, if I can, with a character like that. I think, I think that's what he's there to do, right? I, I do think that you have to have a certain level of comedic timing for sure in order to just jump out with those lines. Because if it wasn't done well it would break the flow of, like you said, a, pa- a fast-paced show that is like, go, 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 all these references, all this stuff going on. And if you were to suddenly say one of those one-liners and it wasn't timed properly, it would it would almost take people out of the experience and, and be like, what, what's, what's going on over there? So that yeah, that's a definite talent on your part. Where do you think that comes from, though, that, that feeling of, are you sure that I'm the right one for um, this? <laughs> I mean, this is cheaper than therapy, I suppose. I could just talk to you about it. <laughs> I mean, the first the first answer that comes to mind, because I ask myself that question, too, from time to time, is the first answer is, you know, a form of perfectionism. You know, I've been doing theater for, in some form or another, for more than half my life, like 20 years, right? I've been on stage since high school. We did some Christmas plays when I was in church 
uh, youth group when I was 10 years old. So I've never been, you know, it, it sort of appealed to me when I was younger. Uh, I've never been afraid of being on stage, never been afraid of being in front of people. So once I started doing it and sort of discovered that I had an ability, I had a stage presence, I know how to deliver lines, I know how to play off of other people, then it becomes sort of a, okay, this is a skill of mine, I want to get better at it. Not only is it, is it exciting to get better for your own, you know, mental well-being, you think, yeah, it, I am good at that, and uh, it feels nice to be told that by other people. It's Performing is something where you do it for feedback, right, for to whatever extent people do the arts. You don't do it and then resent people for applauding, right? That would be... <laughs> you can't walk out of work if you stop watching me on stage. <laughs> Go home. I do not to be perceived. So I just, yeah, I realized that I had the ability to do it. I love to make people laugh. I've grown up in a family that loves to make each other laugh. And I, and I realized that, oh, I, I'm good at this and I want to get better at it. I want to be, I, I, I can take apart the mechanics of how a joke works. And then I say, okay, if I do it this way, change this timing, change this inflection, you get a different result. So it's sort of about tweaking it and being the best that I can be at all times. And then, yeah, maybe through a, overthinking that part of it, you think, okay, if I can always get better, that means I'm never there yet, which isn't necessarily an unhealthy way to, to look at developing a skill. You know, you can always learn something new. I always want to learn something new. So, yeah, you know, when I, when I articulate it in a way of saying, oh, are you sure I can do this? I don't know if I'm good enough. I'm not talented enough. That's probably not the most healthy way to process those thoughts. Uh, and that's an ongoing process. That, that comes and goes with my comfort with the material, like I say, there's certain types of roles that I'm more comfortable in. This ended up being, you know, Nostradamus ends up being sort of in my wheelhouse in terms of, yeah, comedic timing, wackiness, uh, being a stage presence who's not there to, not there to do much other than to make people go, no, that guy, <laughs> what a wacky fellow. But he's, he's fun to play with because you get to just, you get to go over the top. You get to go, he, he snaps in and out of reality, you know, Nostradamus <laughs> is not always here. He's seeing something out there all the time, and he's, he's just fun to play with as a comedic role. And I think, before I entirely lose the point of your question, I think I, I always want to improve, and I, I want to make people proud. I want to make people that believe in me. I want to prove them right. I want, if someone's going to tell me, oh, you're good enough to do this, I want to make sure they, they believe that. I want to prove their instincts right, and I want to I do well for the people. I'm on, I'm on stage with my friends. I'm on stage in front of the people of Sarnia who deserve good entertainment, and they deserve the best I can give them, right? At least I hope so. <laughs> you always try to do your best, I think. And, yeah, I process those, those things better or worse on different days. There are days in the middle of the run of the show where I feel like, you know what, there's nobody better at this than I am. And I'll let that thought sit in my head for a moment, and then I'll put it away, and I'll say, that's not true. There's, everyone's great at something. And I'm not the best at what I do, and I can always learn something new, right? You never stop being – I, I want to stay humble and curious about this art form as long as I'm able to do it. But I do need to give myself a bit more credit, I think. <laughs> And I'm sorry to put you on the spot. It's a, a personal curiosity uh, with this podcast. And it has been a form of therapy for me because I, I suffer from major low self-esteem and, you know, and, and social anxiety. Like even just being around other people makes me super nervous sometimes. Even just like yep. seeing someone in the grocery store. I'm like, do I say hello to this person? Don't I say it? Like, I just, I'm so nervous about, about that. And yet I can be on stage and be someone else and be wildly charismatic for three hours without a, without a second thought. And so many of the people that I've interviewed for this have the same kind of, or at least a similar experience of being super charismatic and outgoing but also having that other side of themselves where it's it's not it, it, there's that binary I guess so it, it is a selfish question because I need to hear it from everybody like you know it's it's a normal I, thing <laughs> I don't think it ever hurts to hear that people are going through what you're going through yeah. I think that's always an affirming thing because you're not alone you're not um there's nothing wrong with you right there's nothing wrong with any of us if we're living our best through life and we've got an anxiety that we can't control right now uh we work on it we, we have to prepare for it and we learn what to say to ourselves when that other voice says 
you're not really good at this. Mm-hmm. You're getting by on, you know, I'm, I'm always afraid I'm getting by on natural ability. And, you know, I, I don't mind saying that I'm not a, I'm not a trained singer. You know, I've never taken singing lessons, so I don't properly project from my diaphragm. People always say sing from your diaphragm. I don't know what that means. That just sounds like a magic spell. <laughs> it's just, and then they do it, and I think, that sounds great. And then I sing, and I, and I don't, you know, I just don't have the, the natural volume that uh, projection that people have. And, I, and I, I would love to get better at that. But until I do, I'm always going to, in the back of my mind, think, yeah, if somebody else is better at singing, they could probably do this better than I could. <laughs> I'm thinking that not on stage in the moment, but in quiet moments during a run, during rehearsals, I think, I really wish I knew how to do this or that better. And some of it's, some of it's just the mechanical truth. I don't know how to do that stuff, but I make up for it, and I, I can carry a tune. I know how to sing. So it's not, you know, it's not a lost cause. But <laughs> no, I don't think there's anything wrong with ever with, with saying to yourself, I feel this way, and people might not realize it when they see you, especially if you are outgoing and you're in your element with people you like and you're comfortable with. People would, you know, there's no reason not to assume that you're, you're charming and bubbly and fun like that all the time, but I don't think anybody can be like that all the time, right? You've always yeah. got to have downtime. That's really good. And I think I have uh, maybe a misperception of some of the folks in Sarnia in the theater as being like that. And I'm always surprised, like yourself, like I, you know, to hear that you have these moments of doubt is surprising to me because you seem like a very naturally confident kind of guy. And so, yeah, I definitely have that misperception. So it is, it's good for me to hear. Well, it is, I mean, like you say, the binary is not a bad way to look at it, or at least different shades, which can be true at different times. Because like I say, when I'm in a group of friends and we're all having a great time and, and the, we're just doing witty banter or singing songs or just discussing someone's telling a funny story. I'm absolutely great and comfortable at making people laugh, uh, being an attentive listener and laughing at the right time and other people's jokes. It's not always funny. It's, it means a lot to me to be a good listener and empathetic to people when something heavy or serious is going on too. Like I'm very, like I am really naturally comfortable around people, especially when I'm around, you know, people that I've, sort of establish my outgoing nature with yeah i absolutely there's no uh there's no question that 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 that's part of me i am naturally pretty confident most of the time i'm outgoing i know what i'm good at i know i can make people laugh i know i can make people feel comfortable or i try to at least right it just yeah once in a while that you know meter will just run out sometimes Mm. and you just think i gotta get out of here or i'm just exhausted or yeah i just I really, I really enjoy a quiet space as well. Um, as much as I love being in, in a in a room full of people and having gr- great time and carrying on, I really love a, a moment of quiet reflection and silence. I was I was camping in Algonquin Park a few years ago. I went up north uh, right at the end of October. It was the last weekend of October. It was the last weekend of camping at all. Right up 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 when you go that far north. So I drove all the way up to the northern edge of Algonquin Park, which is sort of on the same level as Ottawa. So from here to drive straight up towards North Bay and then cut across to the park and then back down, it was close to nine hours of driving just for me to get to this campsite. And I got there and the guy said, where are you from? I said, Sarnia. He said, you drove this far just to camp for one night? Because I I camped for two nights. I camped for one full day, which was terrible time management on my part. That's (laughs) another one of my skills is is managing time badly but i got there and it was it was a remote site or a remote uh campground i should say it was like a public site but i got there and there was one other fan one other family camped across the bay from me no one else was there so i set up my tent and it was an october afternoon three four o'clock so the sun's already you know low in the sky and i remember sitting down in my camp chair after i've got everything set up and i just sat and stopped and I heard utter silence for, I think, the first time in my life. And I looked up, and a bird flew by. It, it could have been 30 feet above me, but it flew by uh, at a distance, and I heard the bird's wings flapping. Oh my I've never heard a bird's wings flap before. Have you ever heard a bird's wings? Just a regular-sized bird, not like no. a, a condor <laughs> thing? <laughs> I don't think I've heard that either. <laughs> no, neither am I. And I suppose if a condor fly by, I probably wouldn't stop to silently listen. I'd be like, oh, my God, it's a condor. Hey, everybody, look, a hey, condor. Everybody. 
<laughs> hey, everybody, come here. Um, but that moment of silence was so profound yeah. and deep for me that ever since then, it, I've, it woke something up in me that I realized how important that can be as well, quiet in the middle of noise. So, yeah, so I, I, I'm comfortable in both both kind of social situations. If you're with somebody that just wants to be quiet, there's a lot of value in that too. I think it's really nice to have a friend that you're close to that doesn't need you to be on all the time. Mm. That's a nice feeling too, right? Mm. So to refuel or refill that meter, camping a common thing that you do? It has, of- yeah, I've tried to make it one in the last four or five years. I went a few years there in a row just by myself, you know, two or three nights, um, not talking to anybody. I mean, talking to myself. I tend to talk to myself out loud when I'm by myself. Do the same thing, <laughs> or I'll talk to my cats, so I feel like it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why we get cats, so we can, <laughs> we can say things out loud in accents, but like, no, oh, I'm not insane. I'm talking to a cat. To my cat. <laughs> totally yeah, so it really became sort of a period of meditation for me, especially right there in the mm-hmm. fall, right before winter sets in and everything gets quiet anyway and then last year my fiance and I went my girlfriend at the time went uh went up to the same campground as that first time I went it was a great time like we still had still a great few days up there but it also rained the entire time and was a lot colder and windier so as brave as she is and I love her (laughs) but she does not like cold weather she's she stuck it out and we sat there in some some state of misery or another for three days, <laughs> enjoying the great outdoors of northern Ontario, middle Ontario. Yeah, I can sit. I can sit at a campground. I'm just. I think I've realized I've become one of those guys. I can just sit at a campground and stare at a campfire for an hour and not say anything, and that really fulfills something for me. Yeah, and I and I get back and I feel kind of recharged and yeah, ready to take on socializing again. <laughs> So you, you've done a lot of camping on your own then? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, not, I mean, I guess three times I've gone by myself. And, again, it's not but not backpacking or anything. It's just it's car camping, drive up, set up a tent, set up a campfire, you know, bring two books, finish both of them in a weekend, that kind of thing. I would love to get to a point where I'm going into, like, the true backcountry with a, with a backpack and set up a shelter and, you know, put your food up in a bag so the bear doesn't eat it and all that stuff. That sounds fun to me, in theory, but I haven't tried it yet, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe I'm not cut out for it, but I'd love to try. Uh, I, okay, I think I would last long enough to set up the tent, and then I'd be like, I guess time to go home, get in the car, time to drive those nine Just- hours. And, like, leave the tent set up so that the next person who shows up says, oh, okay, well, that's done. You're welcome. Yeah, I don't know that I, uh, the thought (laughs) of that city, I love nature. Like, I love going for walks in nature. I love being in nature. I don't mind camping if it's kind of more of a glamp situation. (laughs) Glamping, sure. But, yeah, being by myself in a campsite, like, that, the thought of that terrifies me. I think I would just be so freaking bored. But yeah, I think sitting there, I just wouldn't last. And I, there's a voice in my head that's like, that's why you should do it and stick it (laughs) out. It'd probably be good for you. But I don't think I'm gonna. It it might not though, because you might be spending the whole time thinking, oh, I wish I was doing something else. And then you're not, you're not in the moment at that point. I think you find if, if walking in nature is, is what does it for you, whatever gets people to that moment of, slowing the thoughts down in your head i like to watch them go by and and not do not do too much with them i've heard that that's a form of meditation that you you observe your thoughts but you don't interact with them you don't react to the to what your brain comes up with just let it happen for a little while um yeah it feels kind of like you're defragging your brain like you you've got a bunch of little thoughts jumping around in there if you let them sort of stretch their legs and and get get on with it. Uh, yeah, I feel like I come back a little recharged, but the two days of me being alone with a campfire does that for me, but it's not going to do that for everybody. A lot of people, it might be reading a book uh, in your house, you know, whatever it is that gets you contemplating. I think it's good once in a while. I might have to put it on my bucket list, though, just to challenge myself. I have been dabbling sure. in meditation, so and what you're saying definitely yeah. resonates with me. And that's why there's that little voice that's like, uh-huh, see, this is why we need to do it. So we'll see. I'll get back to you. I'll report in <laughs> if I ever do. Are there any other uh, activities that you like to do that help recharge you? Listening to podcasts, <laughs> believe it or not. I uh, 
I first discovered podcasts when I was living by myself. I went to school in London at uh, Western and then stayed for a couple of years, tried to find work, ultimately moved back to Sarnia, which is part of the whole story of the theater for me. But uh, in that year and a half, two years where I was, well, I was in my, in an apartment on my own for one full year. Um, again, it was just a third floor walk up with floor that was at a, it's an old house in London. The floor was at a 15 degree angle. So anything you dropped just left the room. <laughs> if you know what I mean, just rolled across the room. It's kind of falling apart, but it was a cute little house. I uh, had a cute little kitchen, and I realized shortly thereafter, I mean, I had friends in London, but I was spending a lot more time talking to nobody. There was nobody in the apartment, and I was used to being social. Like I say, I am I am naturally pretty social most of the time. I was a soft at my residence, like a, a second-year student who kind of helps the first-year students okay. get oriented. Uh, and that was like sort of being like a cheerleader for an entire year. So I, I'm I'm good at being around people. I love being around people. But this was the first time. This would have been 14 years ago, at least. Yeah, 10, 12, 12, 14 years ago when I just thought, oh, I'm I'm by myself here. Okay, what am I gonna do to fill the time? I didn't have cable subscription. I didn't want to spend all my time just playing video games or anything like that. So I I started listening to podcasts. It must have been CBC Radio podcasts um they were relatively new at the time and i just thought this is it's kind of like a tv show but i can bring it with me i can go for a walk and listen to somebody tell me a story i can be cooking dinner and learn about somebody or something in the world that i've never heard of before it was my first exposure to a medium that was kind of doing little audio documentaries about stuff i'd never heard and, and that really piqued my interest so cut to now and i've got easily a dozen shows that I listen to every week, like religiously, right? There's the stuff that releases weekly and I listen to it as soon as it comes up. Uh, and there's stuff that I will do a deep dive on for three months at a time. There's, there's such a wide variety of podcasts out there that any mood I'm in when I want to recharge and get away from socializing and, and trying to be on all the time. Yeah. I can find serious stuff, comedy stuff. That's very satisfying to me. So I, I'll listen to that and clean the kitchen or like I say, go for a big long walk. That's a big recharger for me because again, I, I am exposed to ideas and people and thinkers that I never would have discovered otherwise. Right. Mm. I'm really grateful to podcast for that. So I'm grateful to you for doing these. <laughs> this is a good way for people. You know, there's probably still people that have never listened to a podcast because they might not know what the, what the heck that is. What is a, is it just a radio show? It can be, but it can be anything. It can be this. It can be a fictional drama. You know, I've listened to radio dramas that are performed live at on stage, but you're just getting the audio feed, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I love this medium. It's, it's, it's a great time. As do I. And they're in, in bite-sized nuggets so that, like you say, if you are in the mood for a little comedy, but maybe you want a little drama, you can spend an hour listening to one type of podcast and then move on to something else, which yeah, I'm yeah. definitely, I'm a junkie. What do you think is your favorite podcast to listen to if you had to pick one or even three? I think I, you were going to ask me that and I, I should have known. And I should have <laughs> so I will say my favorite comedy podcast is called Stop Podcasting Yourself which sounds like a made-up ridiculous <laughs> parody of a podcast name. It's because they, they invented, they came up with it in, I think, 2010, maybe 2012. And so they were like, yeah, these aren't real things anyway. What is a podcast? So they, it's two, um, two Canadians, comedian named Graham Clark and a former comedian and writer named Dave Shumka. They're both from, they're both Canadian, which is nice because there's, did I already say that? I might have already said that. No, I said comedians. Which sounds like Canadian. They sound the same. I was trying to think. I was like, did he say that? Did he say? They're two comedian Canadians. <laughs> um, and they just, it was the, it's a show that's just about the rapport between two friends. And they make each other laugh. They have a guest on every week. And it's usually a, a comedian from the Canadian scene somewhere. Or a Canadian from the comedian scene. <laughs> but they just, they just have a great time talking to each other, making each other laugh. And I think that's my favorite type of podcast to listen to. Now, there is one called 99% Invisible, which is my favorite to learn from. I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's all about urban design. It's about the way things in cities, I mean, it's been on for a long time, so they've expanded the scope, but it's the way things in cities are built, the things that you don't even necessarily notice all the time. 
And it's 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 harder for me to get people excited about that one because, for example, I, it doesn't work for everybody, but they you know they'll do an episode on all the thing all the things that are, the utilities that are buried under the roads and sidewalks in the city and how those all work. And I and to me, I'm like, that's fascinating. <laughs> and to most people, that's boring <laughs> because of course. That's fine. I get it. It's not for everybody, but I love learning about it. As what it woke me up to this interest in like design, graphic design, industrial design. I just realized one day that like everything that's in the world, this measuring tape, for example, somebody made it look the way it looks and move the way it moves, and everything on here is there for a reason. And I really like that there's people out there that think about well, what should uh, what should a measuring tape feel like? What what should a button sound like that that click sound means something happened that's a good thing clicks are good but i mean it's this interest that i don't know anybody else who cares about this stuff i don't know if anybody does obviously this show is for people to do but yeah it really opened my mind to this whole world of doing things with intention i guess is the the overall thing i got from that is if you're going to make something build something say something do it like you mean it you know have your goal in mind if there's a problem you're solving you know, you, you understand that problem top to bottom and then do your best to solve it. And that's, you got you to go in there with intention. And I find that's the best results I get out of my life. If I go into a social interaction with somebody and my intent is to make them feel welcome or make them laugh, whatever it, whatever it might be, I go in there trying to do that. You know, I don't want to fall into that accidentally. I want to bring the skills I have uh, to, the, to the room and I want to do it. And I want to I want to do the best I can for that person or for myself, whatever it might be. So that's two. <laughs> Third podcast, uh, just for fun. There's no. You have to come back to me. I'll have to come up with a third one. It'll come up. It'll come up in my head later in the conversation. You'll just blurt it out just randomly. Yes, I, it'll be like the Nostradamus line. Yes. I'll just say something. It'll be a podcast title. I and hope it goes that happen. way. I hope it does. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's thank you. I'm remembering. Like, there, I just got some nuggets on, like, how to handle social situations from that. And I got a couple podcasts to listen to. So I'm happy, girl. So 20 years of theater, you said. So that's a pretty good, pretty good run. What do you think got you into it way back in the day? And what, what do you think keeps you coming back? Um, so, I mean, the very, very first things I did, like I said, I may have been between 8 and 12. So more than 20 years ago. I'm 35 this year, but it was just uh, Christmas plays at my church in Corona growing up here. Uh, but I, I mean, I went to that church more as a social thing because a lot of my friends were there. So I went to hang out. So yeah, doing the Christmas play was just sort of a fun Christmas has always been my favorite time of year. Christmas play. Yeah, why not? I was young enough and confident enough. I said, that sounds fun. I'm not afraid of that. <laughs> and again, like I say, I know some people it's a natural aversion they have to being up in public and and speaking in front of a crowd it just never has been for me so i did a few of those that was that was fun and then i guess cut to grade 10 my second semester of grade 10 uh i went to skits so skits was the in my opinion at least and in a lot of people's opinion it was sort of the performing arts school of sarnia especially the dramatic arts because it had that beautiful 800 seat auditorium that was built in the 20s uh big stage and a, a program that we were proud of, like a drama program that was that was consistent. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of... Are you from Sarnia? No, I'm actually... I, I'm from Alberta originally. I've only lived in Sarnia for four or five years. Okay. Yeah, so Skits has never been open in your time, I don't no, think. I, don't I think, think they so. closed. Yeah. Uh, but they had a variety show every year called the Skits Review, and that was in March of every year. So it was Skits songs and dances by high school students, and it was a tradition, I think it... I don't know what year it started. It started early, though. When I did it, it was probably in its 60th year or something like that, 70th year. I might be completely making that number up. I know it had been around for decades. So my brother, my older brother, who's about a decade older than me, he was in the skits review, so I had memories of seeing him up on stage and thought, that's pretty cool, making people laugh and, you know, shouting his name and saying, woo, that's really... That, that I looked up to him, and maybe part of me carried that with me when I was in high school. And then the, yeah, the drama teacher at Skits, Dan White, convinced me to audition for Hamlet in the second semester of my grade 10 year. So it would have been, I had just turned 15. And uh, so I, yeah, I got a part in Hamlet playing Hamlet's father, the ghost, who shows up at the start and says, it's not good, man. Uh, 
your uncle killed me, and I need you to kill him back. That's not how I delivered the lines, but it's certainly not how the lines were written. <laughs> that, yeah, that was it. Um, I got, I was, uh, I had the honor of playing uh, opposite Brian Austin Jr., who you may know as the uh, director of the executive, whatever his title is, at the Imperial Theater, the man who makes the theater go. Uh, he's a great actor. He's too busy these days, obviously, to, to get on stage too much, which is too bad. We all miss him on stage. He's a great talent. So I got to watch him. He's three, four years older than me, so I got to sort of watch somebody who really knows his craft, even at that young age of 18 or whatever, really dig in and do a big, dramatic play. And I thought, this is cool. This is cool being on stage. I don't mind this at all. And then from there was two, uh, two big shows every year, and I got involved in the Skits Review the next year doing playing piano or guitar or whatever and singing whatever pop songs of the day. I think it was a Coldplay song I sang first back in the day. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I got to do a fair amount of Shakespeare. The only Shakespeare I've ever done was was in, well, not, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say all of the Shakespeare was just in high school, but we did Hamlet, we did Midsummer Night's Dream, we did Romeo and Juliet, and I got to be in, in a part of all of those, and, and Shakespeare is fun. I think it's it's a really, sometimes it's over your head when you're in high school, which is kind of ironic. The only time I've done it, I didn't know all of what I was saying. I was just saying a lot. But I could tell there was something there. And then in addition to those Shakespeare shows, we, we did musicals every year. Not every year, but almost every year. So I got to do uh, Grease. I got to do Les Miserables in my fifth year. And uh, we did Robin Hood, which isn't a musical, but it was a fun sort of adventure kind of play. So yeah, doing at least two shows a year from high school for the five years of high school, then when I got to university, my friends were in college and they had a drama group there, just student-led. So we did fun, irreverent shows there that we just wrote and made up. Yeah, and then I was I was in London for a few years, so I did some shows with my friends there. There's a production company called Banished by the King Productions, which was founded by a group of people who went to King's College, and then when they all graduated, they were banished by the King. So they started their own group. So we did a couple shows there, and then I moved home to, to or moved back to Sarnia in 2013, 2012 or 2013, and I spent the first year or so thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do for fun in uh, in Sarnia because I hadn't been in town for so long. I didn't know if I had many friends back in town or if they were all still in the cities. They were going to school if they'd all moved away. But I found it, yeah, a good group, good core group of friends still here. And then I saw, I don't remember which one I saw first, whatever order they came in, but I remember seeing. Les Miserables, when uh, Carrie Beauchamp put that on, I think that's 2013. Someone else could correct you with the years because I'm not good at that. But I remember seeing that. I remember seeing some shows by Diversion Entertainment, Avenue Q, Alter Boys, Next to Normal. These were shows I didn't know existed that blew my mind. I thought, oh, my goodness, you can do a, a show, a raunchy rated R musical with Muppets being all the lead characters. You can do a serious show about mental health and grieving and loss, and it's a musical. And I, I thought musicals had to be upbeat and lighthearted, and that's all they could do. So it blew me away. It, it opened my mind to this whole new expression that I didn't know about, and I saw people on stage that I've been lucky enough to share the stage with now. So I've been very happy to go from seeing them on stage to auditioning for a Theater Sarnia show. My first show at Theater Sarnia was 2014, Christmas Carol. And then the end of that season was Spamalot, the musical, and I got to be King Arthur in that. That was a nice way to jump into the theater community in Sarnia, uh, do a big fun show like Spamalot, which, again, reminds me of something rotten. I think there's a lot of, they, they kind of seem like cousins to each other because they're historical, there's English accents, and it's irreverent, right? It, it does not take itself seriously. Yeah, so since then, I, yeah, I've, I've done an average of probably a show a year. There's certainly been some years I didn't, I didn't do anything in particular, but when we all took a couple years off recently, but yeah, it's always been part of my, you know, life outside of work, <laughs> outside of work and sleep. Theater is right there. It's, you know, I've got all these friends that I've met, a lot of people in the show that I've, I've been friends with, or I've met them in the show and become friends with them. I've never dated somebody that I didn't meet through theater. <laughs> that was my only dating scene when I was growing up was theater. I don't know how to meet other people outside of theater. So, And that's including I met my fiance, Ashley. We were both in A Christmas Carol together and sort of kept in touch and, and got back in touch a few years ago. And here we are, madly in love. Thanks to theater. Thanks entirely to theater. Thanks to 
that's the only reason. <laughs> no, it's 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 been great. It's been I am verbal diarrhea all over the place right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't think that um, I was here for every word. I did want to ask you about, you mentioned your brother. And earlier yep. you had said, I love to make people laugh. And that was something that was always part of your family. So what did that look like in your family? A big family, for one. On my mom's side, she was or is one of 13 children. Holy crap. And then my dad's side, one of nine. So both sides of my family. Yeah. Lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. My sister and I, years ago, so this number's low now, but we just counted our cousins and whatever your children or your cousins are called, once removed or second cousins. I can never remember which term is which. Anyway, cousins and their kids. And, stuff. and we have a hundred cousins between the two of us. Like that's that's a pretty that's big a family. A lot of people don't have a family that size. Oh. So family get-togethers were, you know, around each holiday, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, St. Patrick's Day, uh, Labor Day. We always had a family reunion on Labor Day right before uh, school started growing up. Um, so it was just, it's a big, especially on my mom's side of the family, it's a big family full of people who like to make each other laugh. Telling funny stories about each other from, you know, my aunts and uncles growing up back in the day the madness that they got up to and the cousins uh, all of us sort of the, the next generation would do a lot of uh we learned in a very loving way we learned the power of sarcasm from our family it's just such a powerful and great way to come together when somebody says something in and the rest of the room says oh yeah sure whatever it's it, you know from the outside maybe it looked more combative than it was but it was it was pure joy like it was just everybody having good time at each other's expense sometimes because you knew it would come back and you'd be the you'd be the butt of the joke at some point <laughs> yeah i always lots of laughter lots of lots of love and laughter in my family um and it just you know in my adult life i see family when i can we've lost some family right as, as we all get older but i feel the same way about my friend groups mm. i feel like i've been lucky enough to find people in my life that feel like that kind of family where we're all making each other laugh and we're there for each other, right, when, when serious stuff happens, too. It's built on a foundation of caring about each other. Yeah, I've just been very, I've been very lucky to have that in my life since I knew how to make a joke. I learned it from people sitting around and cracking wise at the, at the dinner table. There's, I mean, there's a story about my, my uncle, Stephen, one year, one of the first years he was part of the family, right, like shortly after he'd married my aunt, I think. Again, it sounds like I don't actually have any stories because every time I start to tell a story I'm like well it either happened or didn't <laughs> one or the other I can't remember it was last year or 1842 <laughs> one of the two <laughs> and I was there or not but anyway there was a year where he made the mashed potatoes for Christmas dinner and he did not make enough mashed potatoes so you know even at with the core group of people that were there for dinner it's still let's say 20 people probably around the big table not enough mashed potatoes and the way our family works once the first person got the empty bowl they're like where's the potatoes <laughs> oh steven steven didn't make hey everybody <laughs> passed the message down the line there's no more potatoes <laughs> what do you mean there's no more you know that's long enough ago that i don't remember the actual incident i was a kid when it happened but every year somebody brings <laughs> the story potatoes. up to remind them we all remember the time you didn't make enough potatoes and he said so he'll make potatoes for dinner and be like, there's enough, by the way. Yeah, like, <laughs> because more we're going to get him for it. That's his legacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the man who didn't mash enough. <laughs> like, what a thing to be remembered for. So we're getting to that point where my laptop could spontaneously. Okay, that's okay. So I uh, usually try to leave a, a couple minutes at the end where if there's a side hustle, it, anything at all that you want to bring awareness to or, or chat about or, you know, it doesn't have to be theater related, just whatever your little heart desires is a little nugget of time for that. Yeah, first and foremost, because it's on, on my mind, is uh, Happy Pride Month to everybody. You know, that's something I didn't know about when I was younger, but the older I get, the more I realize how important it is to people in my life, people in everyone's life. And there are parts of the world where it's getting worse yeah. in the last little while that upsets me to see it and i don't think we have to let that happen we can do a lot more for folks even just in just being supportive and me as uh, as a cis hetero man who is engaged to uh oh i don't know if i have her permission to tell to tell you one second maybe right back <laughs> hold on 
Can I tell them on the podcast that you're bisexual? Okay. <laughs> Did you hear me on the microphone? Yes. Okay, great. So that'll count. <laughs> Did she say yes? Yeah. Okay, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to keep that whole oh. piece. That was priceless. Yeah, I keep the whole thing? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> this is me preparing for this. I just know that she, she was talking about, you know, Pride Month being something that, for her, for, for my fiancé specifically, because it's a, that's near and dear to my heart. She's bisexual, has been her whole life, but she's engaged to me, and I look like I look. So in the outside world, I think it's called passing, uh, straight passing, or whatever the, whatever the term is. She doesn't um, always feel like she can express herself as being part of the queer community, because to, to strangers on the street, we're walking together. There's no reason to question that we're just, quote-unquote, a regular couple. Yep which, you know, has its own baggage saying it like that. But I know that that's out there in the world. And I, I have done what I can, and I'm still doing what I can. Like I say, I always want to learn to be an ally. And if that means me as a normal-looking guy who just, I look like I drink craft beer, and I do. It's true. I'm just a guy, just a regular old guy. I know queer people. I love queer people. And they're just they're just people like me, and they deserve all of the kindness and generosity that I have received in my life. And whatever, you know, whatever we can do, uh, whatever I can do to promote that, which sometimes it's me just saying happy Pride Month. I don't, I, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on, on what needs to be done next, but yeah, it's important, I think, to make that cause known and we still got work to do. Yeah, I, I want to leave, the, this is a non sequitur, but I want to leave the world better than I found it. Kind of like the, that's the campground mentality, actually. Like when you go camping in the wilderness, they say, you know, don't leave anything behind leave the natural world intact and if you can make it even better that's the goal so if i'm here for however long i'm here and i can help people feel safer more loved that's what i want to do you just made my heart very very happy that is also pride month is a is a very close to my heart kind of thing too and yeah i got the warm fuzzies from that so thank you very much for that message on that note uh what did they say is it the hollywood handbook where they're like okay goodbye is that how it ends? Uh, 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 oh, but wait, wait, your third podcast. Uh, the Beef and Dairy Network. Beef and Dairy Network. Okay. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Sounds good. Thank you, sir, for your time. And one more thing. Yeah. The most important thing to remember, above all else. <laughs> yeah, I got on me. <laughs> okay, I'll jump in here real quick. After hanging up on me, Mr. Davis messaged me asking, and I quote, Wait, can I do a very short epilogue? I was suspicious, to say the least, but my curiosity got the better of me. Hi. <laughs> okay, I am full of trepidation on this request no. for an epilogue. <laughs> I have no time management. I was just telling Ashley, oh, I didn't get to tell the story I wanted to tell. Oh, wait, I'm going to see. Okay, so I don't know where you want to put this. You could put it at the very end, which is pretty funny where you can put it in the talking about uh, something rotten. But I have a story for you. Okay. Okay. So we got all our costumes from for something rotten, or a whole lot of them from uh, Stratford, right? We were lucky enough to rent a whole lot of costumes. So if you're wondering how we got all these elaborate, yeah. like, Shakespearean-looking costumes, they rented a bunch of them to the theater. The uh, creative team got to go down and pick out costumes and had all our measurements. So they picked out, you know, options for everybody. And we get there, and there's these beautiful racks full of, Jackets and blouses and dresses and the things that make the dresses stand out. I don't know what those are called. It's a fashion term. You know what I mean. Bustle? Yeah. Know. Sounds right. Something like that. A bustle is a word I've heard before in like a Jane Austen. <laughs> Could be I it. So anyway, so we got all these costumes and we're uh, rehearsing. We're not allowed to wear the costumes when we rehearse, of course, because we might damage them and we can't do that, which is fair. So the first time we really get to play with them extensively is just the week before the show, during Tech Week, right? We move into the theater, all the costumes are moved downstairs, we put on all these great fancy jackets, and they're heavy, and they're so warm, and it's not cold out, so we're sweating <laughs> into the costumes. They all got properly cleaned in case someone from Stratford is listening. I want to, I want to assure you. But anyway, so we're, we're all downstairs before one of the... Uh, it was, it was before the, the second week of shows. And I looked in my, the, the golden coat that I wear is Nostradamus. That ja I wear that jacket for, like, the whole show, right? And I look in the in the tag, and um, there's a name written there. 
because it was produced or at least signed out to somebody for a show in Stratford. You know, Stratford costume department, right? Written right on there. And that's really cool. I wonder who, if I know who's worn this jacket before. Now, do you know who Brian Dennehy is? Nope. He's just an actor. He's an actor who played, he's a cop in the first Rambo movie. He is in Cocoon, which I've never seen. He's in Tommy Boy. Do you remember Tommy Boy, the yes. Chris Farley movie? Yes. He's not in that. He's Big Tom. Okay. Anyway, so I didn't. T- I haven't told anybody else in the cast this story, by the way, but that's not true. I did this whole. I did this all <laughs> in the wrong order. Let me start over. I'm gonna do it very quickly. I'm gonna do a better job of it. Starting take two. And go. So, I haven't told anybody else in the cast this story before from something rotten, but when we were in the second week of shows for in the in the second run second week of the run we got all these costumes rented to us by stratford uh they, they went to the stratford costume department the creative team and they rented all these costumes and they got you know different options for all the actors and uh brought them in and then we you know finally got to wear them during tech week and the and the the show and one day on the i think the wednesday of the second week i, I looked in the back of my jacket and it's got a tag on it and the tag had an actor's name in the show that they were in and the name was B. Dennehy. So, I don't know if you know the actor Brian Dennehy, but he's... Is that the guy from Tommy Boy? That, was he in? He is, yeah, he's the guy from Tommy Boy. Uh, he was in Cocoon. He was in First Blood, which is the Rambo movie. So anyway, he's just an actor that I knew, and I was blown away that, like, I was wearing a jacket that I knew this actor. He's a movie actor. He played... He did Death of a Salesman on Broadway for years. He's, like, a big deal, and I just... I remember sitting there after that show and just thinking to myself, I'm wearing Brian Dennehy's jacket on stage. I'm wearing Brian Dennehy. So then, you know, I get to tell people for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm kind of a Brian Dennehy type. If you were to cast me in something, I sort of play whatever roles he plays, size-wise at least. We have the same shoulder size, if that means anything. Uh, I'm planning on putting it on my resume. It's going to be top of the bio. Previously worn costumes worn by Brian Dennehy. That was top to bottom, no question. The most important part of doing the show, Something Rotten. Nothing else. No memories from the show other than the fact that I got to wear Brian Dennehy's jacket. There's going to be some good juju that would come from that. If, if... I think so. So the, you don't have to put this part in, but the, the joke is, I, it, this is not the first time the cast has heard this. It's oh, the only thing. Oh, okay. It's the only thing I could talk about for the entire second week of the show. <laughs> so everyone's showing up in the green room to, uh, to get dressed. is like, hey, good morning. I said, hey. Good morning. Do you know who Brian Dennehy is? Uh, no. Why? I'm wearing his jacket. So I bored the hell out of everybody. I just wanted to tell that story because it's my favorite way to annoy uh, my friends that were in the show. <laughs> it was, we would be sitting there and they'd be like getting ready for mic check and I'd be like, hey, what's what's a line that Brian Dennehy is known for? I want to use that for my mic check. And they're like, enough with the Brian Dennehy already. <laughs> but, but who yeah, wore your was, jacket uh, before? Did anybody yeah, else so now have? Somebody Somebody in Stratford is going to put it on and be like, I think Shane Davis wore this jacket. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, Thank so... you for back on and <laughs> waste time over your time. Nobody's ever asked to do that before. And I was thinking for sure you were going to get me again. And I was like, do I want to do this? No. I'm not no, I, sure I, that I do. I debated doing that, but I, I wanted to get the story out. Fair enough. And I wanted it first, and then I really badly managed my time. But... <laughs> I really appreciate you letting me waste more of your time. <laughs> it's just been wonderful. And... Oh, yeah! Jesus. Did it again! Okay, kids. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. See you next week.